welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 53. Last week was our kind of one-year anniversary of doing this podcast. It's me, your co-host, Sam Feldman, joined as usual by Zach Baldor. Zach, how are you doing on this fine July 7th evening? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I got to send uh, my condolences your way. The, the Hawks fought hard, but the, the, the Hawks future is, is officially dead. I was hoping they might be able to pull another one, uh, another one out there. But, hey, all good things come to an end, you know. Hey, they were an underdog every single series. They made it through. Even the Knicks series, people tied Knicks in seven. They won that in five. Got through the 76 and seven. They could even possibly done it in six, which was impressive in itself. Put up a good fight against Milwaukee. Uh, if I think if they would have been fully healthy like every other team, I think a little things changed, but the Bucs also didn't have Giannis. So I can't hate the Bucs too much. They did what they had to. They they deserved it. Chris Middleton was amazing. Drew Holiday was amazing. Shout out to them. Hopefully they put up a fight against the Suns, which after watching game one, uh, looking a little bit rough, but who knows? It's a seven-game series for a reason. But anyway, yeah. let's uh, skip past that. We got some a little bit of Mac news to talk about, then a uh, interesting segment, too, we have in store. We'll talk about that later. But jumping into the general news, out of my alma, uh, out of my alma mater, a lot of things went down over this um, kind of week. A lot of coaches getting signed. It was just a lot. Yeah, yeah, uh, Sam. The uh, so let's let's start with Ball State here. As you mentioned, um, a couple a couple of stories here, uh, kind of wrapped into one. So Ball State. Uh, first off, the he- the big headline here: Mike New gets a contract extension through twenty twenty five. That's a three year contract extension, bumping his base salary up to four hundred and fifty three thousand. Um, now. They're talking how this is uh, quite a, a bump up from where he was at previously. He was coming in and, you know, he's 11th out of the 12 coaches in the conference. So getting a, a nice little bump up there, close to half a million dollars a year, Sam. And, um, you know, I, I know we were talking about this off air where you felt like he didn't necessarily deserve the last contract extension he got. It was more of a, of a, of a good faith uh, effort put into him by Beth Getz based on the recruiting he'd done and some of the small incremental improvement that we had seen on the field. But now after this past season, you go seven and one, you win the MAC championship, you win your first uh, bowl game in school history, finish the season and ranked in the top 25. I think everybody in the Ball State community kind of feels that this one was justified. Yeah, I'm there with you. And honestly, I don't regret what I said about Mike New last year. I, I completely stand by what I said given everything Mike New didn't achieve, the disappointing season he was coming off in 2019, just everything boiled into Mike New didn't deliver. And all Ball State fans were looking for was some success, a bull win, and even to the extent of of a possible conference championship victory. And they all came true. And when Beth Getz gave him the two-year extension, I, I stand by my comments. He didn't deserve it. But looking at what he did this past season, almost having a perfect season, leading Ball State to a their first ever bowl win. I think they're one and seven now in their bowl record, first MAC championship in a while. This rejuvenated what we needed. We've I, I've seen on Twitter how many recruits have just decided jump ship. How how just the amount of not even just prospects posting with that MAC championship trophy. It means something. This university who's thought of as kind of a, a joke at times in sports, I don't think you can say the same thing after last season. We may not be the best Indiana program, but after watching last season, I'm confident moving forward that Beth Getz made the right decision in this contract extension. Ho- hopefully, hopefully Mike New can continue to deliver, especially this season. We have a tough schedule ahead of us. Run it back, they say. It's going to be a tough task, but – uh, I'm slowly turning the corner on Mike. You know, I'm not fully sold yet, but I like what he did last season. Yeah, you know, Sam, the, the thing that I think to me, why this makes so much sense to me is, you know, we, we talk so much on this podcast, or we have talked in the past about how a lot of MAC programs, they have success and, and they struggle to hang on to their coaches. Mike knew 
seems like he genuinely wants to be at Ball State. You know, he's a Ball State alum. He was a starting quarterback there back in the early 90s. You know, we talked about this back in basketball season with Jeff Bowles at Ohio about how he's an alum and he's leading them to some success. You know, they beat Virginia in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And we mentioned at that time that if we're Ohio, you want to lock him up long term. And I think this kind of applies as a similar situation here where Mike knew you know, four rough years to start, but the, the program, you know, the foundation of the program wasn't really where it needed to be. So he had a lot of legwork to do to get it to this point. And now that they've had some success, you know, Mike New seems like he genuinely does want to be there and does want to be leading that the Cardinals program. So if they're going to continue to have success under him and he wants to be there, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to make this work. So he's got a couple more years on his contract now here uh, through 2025. Best of luck to him. As you said, uh, Sam, you know, there's a high expectations there going into this season with so many starters back coming in this year, coming off that MAC championship. We'll see how they're able to build on that. I'm also curious to get your thoughts on, on these, uh, the other contract extensions here that Ball State has, uh, has announced over the last couple of days. Beth Getz, the athletic director, uh, was announced as a contract extension through 2027. I think we can all agree that the, the Cardinals' success as a, an athletic department here over the last couple of years has really improved under her leadership. So I think that was well-deserved. We look at some of these other contract extensions here, four-year contract extensions for baseball coach Rich Maloney and women's basketball coach Brady Sally, and then also a two-year contract extension for, for James Whitford. So um, kind of doing it all at once. I can't say I've ever seen an athletic department do it that way, but I do think at least Beth Getz uh, was, was well-deserved. Brady Sally, you know, and the, and you know the um, the, the men's uh, or I'm sorry, the, the baseball coach Rich Maloney, they certainly had a great year this year as well. So I think you know it doesn't surprise me, but I, I think it's uh, it's a, it's a good time for for Cardinals athletics this year. They had a great you know great uh, great 2020 21 season. Yeah, I, I think first on the Beth gets it's it's one that surprises me, and, and it's a good surprise. I know she was even rumored to be in the candidacy for the Wisconsin athletic director with Barry Alvarez. Retiring, I saw that uh, from an article you guys can look up. I I thought she could have potentially left. She's one of the few I know um, women um, 80s in um, college football. I know that one of the storylines surrounding the bowl game with San Jose State is they had two of the few kind of 80s in that are uh, women's in sports, and that that's a pretty cool thing. She's done a tremendous job not only building up this football program putting her faith in Mike new that's a decision you can always play it safe but GMs like um, I know uh, a lot of people have been talking about the Suns general manager for making that bold decision to take DeAndre Aiden over Luka Doncic and this is kind of side note but it kind of reinforces the fact that great leaders and great athletic directors make risky decisions like Beth Hitz to keep Mike new uh, sign J James Whitford to an extension keep Rich Mahoney to um, around for a couple more years great leaders make tough decisions and she's been she's been able to do that she got funding for that um, indoor facility I mean Beth Getz has done a tremendous job in a time which you don't really want to be an athletic director with COVID and trying to keep every sport afloat and not have to kind of um, what what's the word like kind of uh, cut any sports she yeah she didn't manage to do that and I give that credit not to her to Ball State to every a lot of Mac schools that didn't end up cutting Mac programs because I bet it would have just been easy to cut five programs and have money but she made the tough decision to kind of budget everything it just worked out for so on that end I'm I I, I super like the Beth Getz extension because I thought she would have left yeah I hear you and I think honestly Sam, if you look at the, the article that was posted on Ball State's website, um, you know, announcing these extensions, I think the one thing that's really the biggest testament to Beth Getz's success building this athletic program is the fact where it says that the uh, these contact contract extensions were made possible by additional revenue streams, including private philanthropy, which that to me tells me the donors really came out and said, listen, we want to keep these coaches here. That to me is a, a true sign of success, right? Whenever the donors are going to come out and willing to put up their own money and open up their pocketbooks to keep these coaches around, that tells me that the athletic department is doing something right. So I think that to me is a huge testament to what Beth Getz has built with the athletic department. And, you know, the fact that she's going to be around now for six more years really bodes well for the Cardinals future. Yeah, I, I think so. And quickly to wrap this up, 
James Whitford, I'm waiting on him to kind of prove it. I think like Mike knew, I'm waiting on that one season because I, I think if we 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 could have potentially made a tournament run, not this past year, but the year before that when I was a freshman, we had a really good shot. Then COVID kind of demolished the conference tournament. So we don't know what would have happened in that conference tournament. They could have won it. They could have lost first round. Who knows? I think James Whitford, he may not have to prove it this year. He may not be on the hot seat this year, but two, three seasons – He's got a. He's got to prove some success. He had a lot of turnover this offseason. A lot of coaches leaving, coming in. A lot of players leaving and coming in. But that's just the name of the game in college basketball. With the transfer portal being like it is, you've got to show some success, some um, sort of thing. And then on the baseball coach, real fast, he did a tremendous job. I would say even arguably call um, the postseason worthy for Ball State. But again. Even if the committee doesn't want to recognize it, the Ball State fans recognize what a tremendous job Rich Mahoney has done, not only developing Ball State into a MAC contender year after year, but delivering MLB draft picks as well. He, he's a tremendous coach. I'm glad he's sticking around. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with any of that. I can't disagree with any of that. Certainly, um, you mentioned earlier, Sam, that you know Ball State not always known for athletic success here over the last, you know, couple of decades. It certainly seems like the arrow is pointing up, though, for the, for the Cardinals athletic program right now. Yeah, and moving on from uh, Ball State news, we actually, our next two stories involve Ohio. We'll start off on the men's basketball side. I, I, I go back and forth. I'm not really shocked that this person remained in the NBA draft, but at the same time, I wouldn't have been shocked if he, he returned to Ohio either. Yeah, you know, this is uh, some – I'm, I'm with you here, Sam. So, for anyone who hasn't seen the news that broke earlier today, Jason Preston, Ohio point guard, did announce that he's going to keep his name in the NBA draft this year and forego his final season of college eligibility. Uh, you know, Sam, obviously he got a lot of notoriety this year, right, with, with the, the near upset they had of Illinois back in November at the beginning of the season, and then obviously the, the run through – the MAC tournament back in March in, in Cleveland, and then knocking off Virginia in the first round of uh, of the NCAA tournament. Um, I, I I I can see both sides of this, right? It does surprise me in the sense that the NBA draft boards that I've seen, they only have him projected as like a possible second round pick somewhere in like the forty to fifty range. So in it, because of that. That does surprise me a little bit that, you know, usually you, the guys that you will see stay in the draft are the guys that have that first round projection. So that does surprise me a little bit. However, on the flip side of it, I don't know how much he could have improved his stock if he came back to college for another season. I feel like the notoriety he got this year with some of those great victories that Ohio had and even that near miss versus Illinois and, and, and how much national attention and national recognition he got. I don't know necessarily what he could have done to talk that next year. I don't know that he would have ever become a first round pick. So in that sense, I kind of get where he's coming from, you know, worst case scenario, maybe he ends up in the G league on a two way contract or he finds a, you know, a home in over in Europe or something like that. So I don't know. We'll see how it, how it ends up working out for him, but he did, he did opt to go the professional route. And then, you know, like I said, we'll see where he lands. Yeah. uh, Yeah. You mentioned, First off, I just want to mention, if you don't know the story of Jason Preston and how he even got a scholarship to Ohio, I recommend you check out. He basically hustled his way to get an opportunity with Ohio, which was just amazing to listen to. But like you said, his his kind of – his um, everybody kind of jumped on the Jason Preston hype train at once. And I don't think his stock could have gotten any higher. I think – as amazing as a senior season, he probably would have had. He had 15 and seven this past season. Maybe he gets 20. I, I don't think people would recognize that. He, even if he won a, another NCAA tournament game, I'm not sure his potential could get any higher in terms of draft boards. I just don't. I think his skill set is where it's at. He developed it really well over his three years at Ohio. But I think where he's at, he's kind of reached his height with Ohio. He gave everything to that program. He gave them an NCAA tournament win. He gave them a MAC um, conference tourney win. You can't ask more from a dude. I think it's well-deserved for Jason Preston. I think for me, where he fits in is a nice one-two kind of prototypical combo guard. He's 6'4", 187. The one thing that worries me is, 
front at, at Ohio, he depended the ball in his hands, and I'm afraid he's going to be solely drafted if he's even drafted to be a point guard. And if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, like we see a lot of three, four, Luca, Luca is basically a three out of point guard. Paul George dribbles the ball up, Kawhi dribbles the ball up. He didn't do a whole lot without the ball in his hands. And that worries me at times. If Jason Preston, I think, needs to deliver, kind of improve on his abilities in that, be an off-ball guard sort of, I, I think that's where he lacks. But his playmaking ability is phenomenal. I mean, he, he was he was just tremendous all postseason in the MAC. He had a tremendous regular season. I, I, I think we talked about all year podca- on the podcast how great Jason Preston was. I, I just think there's a lot for him to improve on. I think there's a lot of upside for potential franchises, or even if he does get the chance to G League overseas, whatnot. Yeah, there, there's a lot of potential, but I think there's also a few things he needs to work on. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point you make there, Sam. And, and I think I, I, I agree with you. And I think that that leads me to this next point of, you know, when you have a guy like this who's who's a fringe guy, right, second rounder, you, you don't know if he's going to get drafted. Maybe he ends up in the G League. I, I think the, the the fit of who picks him really, really matters for his development, right? If he's able to go into a system where, as you say, he's able to be kind of a true point guard and bring the ball up the court, I think he can develop his game there well and, and play well. Now, if he doesn't end up in a position like that or they're asking him to play more of a two-guard or play off the ball, it's not that he can't do that necessarily. You know, he shot 39% from three this year, which isn't terrible. I, that's quite good, in fact. But I, I also agree with what you're saying. I think he seems most comfortable with the ball in his hands, kind of a ball dominant guard. I think sometimes ball dominant kind of has a, a negative, um, you know, a negative connotation to it, but I, I'm not, I don't mean that negatively in this sense. That's just what his game is. That's what he's good at. He's a creator. He averaged seven assists a game this year. If he's able to get into a system where he's able to really initiate the offense and kind of dictate things, I could see him having success. I don't know how likely it is that he ends up in a system like that in the NBA. Like I said, it might take him going to the G League for a few years or going over to Europe for a few years, which, hey, in both of those instances, you can still make good money, especially now. You know, you look at these guys on two-way contracts in the G League. They're making, you know, close to six figures. That's not a bad payday at all for for a 21, 22-year-old. So we'll see where he ends up. Um, this did surprise me a little bit. I would have obviously as a Mac fan, I'm selfish. I would have loved to see him come back for another year, but we wish him best of luck in the, in the draft coming up here in the next couple of weeks. We'll see where he ends up or if he gets drafted. And if he doesn't, like I said, I'm sure he'll find a home over in Europe somewhere. Yeah. I, I like you said, I'm pretty sure there's multitude of options, even if he can't get drafted, but yeah, best of luck to Jason Preston. It's been a seems like such a short three years we've got to watch Jason Preston kind of flourish, built from the ground up, kind of rising stock year by year. He obviously, like you mentioned, that Illinois game kind of just exploded his attention, national media spotlight. Well-deserved for him. He, I, I would say he's one of the, the few people we could say, like, earned everything, hustled for everything, wasn't really given anything. And, yeah, shout out to him. But moving on to some NIL follow-up news we we got some more news out of Ohio yeah Sam this was a really cool uh story that I wanted to include just as kind of an example of of what that name image likeness legislation how that's going to play out in real life you know practically right so um the example reason here Demontre Tuggle the starting running back for Ohio he sent he signed an endorsement deal with Ohio uh, university fan site bobcatattack.com to help promote their fam site. It's kind of, you know, a message board type of site where they cover all of the Ohio athletic department. And I think the reason I wanted to talk about this, Sam, is because I think we're going to see more stories like this. And this to me is actually where the NIL legislation can have a lot of impact, right? Everyone wants to talk about those kind of like high, high, high profile athletes at Alabama or Clemson or Ohio state who, you know, are going to get these potential national uh, endorsement deals, but it kind of overlooks these more kind of local community-based NIL deals that I think can have just as big of an ad, uh, of a uh, of an impact. This Demontre Tuggle deal, the, the the article we have here, it doesn't release any of the financial information, but I, I can't imagine it's a lot. Maybe you know, a couple hundred bucks or a thousand bucks a month, something like that. But nonetheless, 
this goes a long way towards, you know, um, helping these kids get through school, helping these student athletes be able to, to benefit from their platform that they get from being a division one athlete. And I'll be really curious, Sam, to see what other Mac athletes are able to come up with deals similar to this one to put a little money in their pocket as they're going through school and, and, you know, learn, you know, earn a little bit and uh, kind of use their platform to their advantage as they're going through and, and, you know, playing on Saturdays. Yeah, I agree. We, we talked about either last episode or the, the episode before that, when the NIL kind of broke, um june 1st yeah it would be last episode we kind of broke down and we were interested to see how this kind of would funnel into the um mac athletes and one of the things you mentioned was kind of local things local sponsorships local that and that's just that for demonstrate tuggle it's a local kind of fan blog site that's sponsoring one of their athletes i think this is a smart move on um bobcat attack because it's bringing a guy who's kind of one of the main faces of Ohio sports at this moment, who's done a lot of great things in a short time at Ohio, kind of being the forefront for this website, which their their attended audience is fans of Ohio Bobcat sports. So I think this is a perfect fit for both these guys. I think I'm interested to see bars kind of start reaching out, like local um, Athens yeah. bars, local Muncie bars, local Ypsilanti bars, all of that kind of reach out to different athletes because I think a lot of websites I know Barstool has started contacting athletes I wouldn't be surprised if a lot more name brand um athletes you see like a Caleb Ellaby you see a Sky Moore kind of get these types of deals it doesn't even have to be big time national brand like we've seen like I saw a a athlete sign like a two million dollar deal for basketball and I'm like yeah what is going on? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, th- I think you can agree with me that I don't think Mac athletes will be rolling in two mil, but nice little chunk of change never hurt anybody. Yeah, no, not, not at all. And, and, you know, you've even, you've seen some athletes, you know, I saw, I saw it, you know, on July 1st, when this uh, legislation went into to place, you, you saw guys like Drew Plitt tweeting out things of, you know, I'm open for business, basically, you know, reach out to me. I'm happy to do endorsement deals and stuff like that. Um, we even saw, you mentioned Barstool. I saw a couple of Eastern Michigan athletes sign with, with the Barstool athlete um, yeah, I don't know, agency. I don't know if that's the right word to help represent them. So I'm really curious to see how this is going to progress. And like you said, Sam, I agree with you. There's not going to be any Mac athletes out there. They're going to be pulling in $2 million a year, but if they can even get some local sponsorships, get a couple grand a month or something like that, help, you know, put food on the table, put money in their pocket to be able to go out and have fun. Uh, on their days off and stuff like that. I think that's a great thing. I think it's a huge benefit. And I'm really curious to see how this progresses moving forward. I'm sure we'll be seeing announcements like this, you know, almost on a daily basis as we move into football season. And then once basketball gets rolling and stuff like that, we're going to continue to see stuff like this. And I'm here for it. I like to see it. No doubt. And before we move on to the next segment, Zach, is there any uh, final thoughts you had on the general news? I don't think so, man. It's been, uh, you know, these last couple of weeks has been, you know, we're in the dog days of summer, right? Not, not a ton of news to cover, which is okay. We're getting geared up for football season. I'm, I'm ready to talk a little, a uh, little gridiron action here. Yeah. Before we move on that, I'm just excited as a ball state f- uh, fan moving forward. Hopefully not only football has success, but ball state basketball gets together. Baseball continues their success. Beth gets continues to elevate the ball state program one program at a time. And yeah. And now we're moving on to segment two. We found this interesting article from Bleacher Report that they decided to do an all-conference um, all of the MAC of the 21st century. So they went position by position. They went quarterback, running back, receiver, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, and DB. And while there were some questionable, I mean, it's a it's a it's a a, a opinion team. When when is yeah. there not going to be debate and questions about who's on the team and Zach I'll let you kick this off if you want to briefly kind of run through position by position we'll kind of take who they had and who maybe should have um, been there instead yeah no problem so I'll run down through each position here and, and, and talk about who they list and then we can go position by position so quarterback a lot of competition here but just based solely on production Meacher Report went with uh, with Central Michigan's Dan Lefevre. I have some thoughts there that we'll get to here in a couple minutes. Uh, the running back, 
uh, Garrett Wolf from uh, from Northern Illinois there from from the mid 2000s. Once again, a lot of competition there. So uh, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that one, Sam. And on, honestly, on all of these wide receivers, once again, a lot of great receivers that have been produced from the MAC here over the last 20 years. They went with uh, with Corey Davis as the first pick, and then uh, two and three, they went with Darius Watts from Marshall uh, back from the early 2000s, and Greg Jennings from Western Michigan, and then Ball State tight end Darius Hill uh, went, uh, was, was their selection at tight end. Offensive line here, um, there, were, uh, there was one specific exclusion here that, uh, that really um, surprised me, but nonetheless, they went with Bowling Green center Corey Lichtensteiger, uh, Toledo left tackle Nick Texer, um, Toledo, uh, no, I'm sorry, Central Michigan's Eric Fisher, and then Marshall guard Steve Sculio and Miami guard Brandon Brooks. Those are your five offensive linemen. On the defensive line, you got uh, Jason Babin from Western Michigan, and then uh, Sutton Smith at Northern Illinois from a couple years back. Kent State tackle Roosevelt Nix, and then uh, Chris Jones from Bowling Green. Those are your four D linemen. Linebackers, you got Khalil Mack, which I don't think that one surprises anyone. Um, Akron's Jatavis Brown from back in the early 2010s. Western Michigan's Amir Ismail. And then Central Michigan's Malik Fountain, who just graduated a couple years back. In the secondary, we got Northern Illinois' Sean Lurie uh, from the 2015 Northern Illinois team. We got Darius Phillips from Western Michigan. Those are your two cornerbacks. And then at safety, we got Toledo's Barry Church and Buffalo's Devontae Shannon. At your specialist positions, we got Toledo kicker uh, Jeremiah Detmer uh, from back in the early 2010s in the Rockets, and then Bowling Green's punter Joseph Davidson from 2015 to 2017. Um, kick returner, I'm sorry, punt returner, we have Ryan Robinson from Miami of Ohio, and then Western Michigan kick returner Darius Phillips. So that's just a rundown through all of these kind of quickly here, Sam. Going back to the top, though, uh, starting at quarterback, Dan Lefevre from Central Michigan, based on pure production, uh, I don't think anyone's going to argue 15,853 total career yards, which is fourth in college football history. But I got to tell you, Sam, a lot of competition, a lot of good quarterbacks have come out of the match here in the last 20 years. And there's a couple guys that I, I would have considered maybe putting above Dan Lefevre here. I see with, with lists, it's hard because you yeah. basically have to nitpick all these great guys like this one guy didn't have this great of a season by 200 yards but he got more recognition and and it's tough to balance who ultimately I, I when, when I look at these lists I think they're basically the MVPs of each position I, mm. I think that's what and it's hard to define what an MVP is like Ben Roethlisberger sure has had a great po pro career done a lot of great things kind of Every time they bring up Ben Roethlisberger, they mention Miami, Ohio, and that that brings great buzz to the MAC. But at the same time, it's tough when when you're talking about solely college. I think Dan Lefevre has the edge. I I think the the one I have a trouble like balancing is between Jordan Lynch and Dan Lefevre. I as a Ball State fan, I would love to say Nate Davis, but because he left early, even though he was so highly ranked in the Heisman voting, I don't think you can do that. I think there's a case between Jordan Lynch and Dan Lefevre. I think Dan Lefevre, even if he had, didn't have the best pro career, based on his Chippewa production, three MAC titles, all MAC each year, first team honors, offensive player of the year twice, his, his numbers st stand by themselves. And if you want to make a case for Jordan Lynch should be there, fine. Like, I'm okay with that. But Dan Lefevre, it's it's tough. Like usually, you don't agree with Bleacher uh, any list really. I I think I slightly agree with them, but again, you can make a case for Jordan Lynch. Yeah, I got to be honest, Sam. Um, even as a Steelers fan, and even even as a guy that really likes Ben Roethlisberger, I think I'm I'm with you in the sense that if this is a two man race to me. Right. I think it's Dan Lefevre and I think it's Jordan Lynch. Now, if we're just going on pure production over four years, nobody's touching Dan Lefevre. But but let's think about it from this perspective when it comes to Jordan Lynch. Jordan Lynch may have only had two great seasons, but that 2013 season with uh, with I'm sorry, that 2012 season with Northern Illinois. 
he led them to a BCS bowl game. He led them to the Orange Bowl. That's not something that anybody in the MAC has ever done. And then also, if we're talking about just pure production and we're talking about just, you know, records and, and being in the record books, yes, I know Dan Lefevre is, uh, is fourth all time in, in career total yardage. But let's think about Jordan, Jordan Lynch's production here. Jordan Lynch, second most rushing yards by a quarterback in a season in NCAA history. In the 2013 season, as a quarterback, he ran for 1,920 yards, a lot of running, but there's, you know, not many running backs that do that. He almost ran for 2000 yards as a quarterback. He also holds the record for most 100 yard rushing games by a quarterback in a season when he had 12 in 2012. And he also had the second most rushing yards per game by a quarterback in a season in the 2013 season when he averaged 137 rushing yards per game as a quarterback. And that's with also throwing for over 200 yards a game. So like, I really feel like, you know, Dan Lefevre was also very, very dynamic and very, very prolific, but he never did what Jordan Lynch did in the sense of leading his team to a BCS bowl game. I think to me, that's the argument for Jordan Lynch. I, I Yeah. It, and basically the argument I think boils down to does, does awards and accolades mean more than stats and it's it's tough to balance because there's a case for both of them and i i think it's just for everybody to everybody's opinion which matters more to you because there's a case for dan lefevre on this side there's a case for jordan lynch on this side i i think jordan lynch had the benefit of getting the recognition on national television of that bowl game dan lefevre never really had that like I, I guarantee if you if you go around recent college fans that aren't related to Mac, they wouldn't know who Dan Lefevre is. They maybe know who Jordan Lynch is based off like like knowing Paxton Lynch, maybe like you can make the case there. I think more people would know Jordan Lynch than Dan Lefevre, but again, I think I think it goes both ways. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And and like you said at the beginning here, Sam. This is, you know, we're, we're nitpicking. These are two great quarterbacks. And when you have a list like this, when you're choosing from guys over the course of 20 plus seasons, it's going to be tough decisions. So I, I don't want to come off as sounding like I'm dismissing Dan Lefebvre. I think he's a fine choice here. I just think it's, it's hard for me to, to not have Jordan Lynch on this list. But again, I'm not dismissing anything Dan Lefebvre did. Obviously, incredibly productive over four years almost 16,000 career yards. Uh, that, that's un, unheard of. So I'm not, uh, if, if you're a Central Michigan fan out there listening, I'm, I promise I'm not dismissing uh, or, 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 you know, diminishing what, what Dan Lefevre did. I think he's a fine choice here. He's an unbelievable college athlete, college quarterback. So, you know, like you said, Sam, we're, we're nitpicking. Either one of them, I think, on this list would be worthy. Yeah, moving on to running back today, Bleacher Report had Garrett Wolf and Kareem Hunt with Notables being Michael Turner from Northern Northern Illinois, Western Michigan's Jarvion Franklin, Buffalo's Jarrett Patterson, all missing the cut. Yeah, you know, I think um, I can't. If we're talking about pure production here, I, I can't disagree with uh, with with anything on this list. I think Kareem Hunt and and Garrett Wolf um, definitely kind of set themselves apart here. Initially, I would have picked, you know, just based on name recognition I think I would have probably picked Michael Turner but then I went back and I looked at his you know production over four years he had one great I, I should say two great season his junior and senior year uh, at Northern Illinois 1915 yards as a junior 1648 as a senior but his his freshman and sophomore years weren't bad by any means, but he, you know, his, his sophomore year, he got injured and, and didn't get to play quite as much as freshman year. He did have 20 carries for 983 yards. So I think those two years kind of um, hurt him. Jarrett Patterson, uh, he had three great seasons, but it was just that it was only three seasons. I, when I look at Garrett Wolf, I mean, this is a guy who, again, it was also only three seasons, but three straight seasons of 1500 plus yards all three seasons averaging over six and a half yards per carry 52 total touchdowns. I mean, 5,000 total yards, uh, Jared Patterson, only 3,800 yards. So I think Garrett Wolf certainly deserved selection here. And then Kareem Hunt, I mean, same thing. We've seen what he's done in the NFL. He was incredibly productive 
at, uh, at, at Toledo for, for a long period of time. And this is a guy that, you know, he, uh, you know, even watching him in college in the Mac, you could tell this was a guy that had pro potential. He seemed head and shoulders above everybody else in the Mac at that time. And uh, he did it, you know, both rushing and receiving is a thing with Kareem Hunt. So I, I don't have any, um, you know, I have no big issues here with the running backs they selected. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think for me, Jared Patterson, I think like the Hall of Fame on these lists, you have to give at least a five-year window to kind of look back and reflect because it just happened. He just went to – he's just now in the NFL. He just got drafted. I think we have time to waste. Like, he, he's he's on this list, I think, for recency bias, and that's not, a sh- that's not a, a shot to him at all. I'm not trying to say that. But I think we need to give it time to look back on his career and truly reflect what it was because we can say it was great. But it just happened like the Bowling Green game or Kent State game, which he had eight touchdowns, wasn't even a year ago. I, I think Michael Turner, like you said, only two great seasons. I think the main reason he gets upped on this list is because I went against Alabama. Like just mm. not not everybody gets to be Alabama. Michael Turner was basically one of, if not the main reason, Northern Illinois be Alabama. So I think he's on that list. Kareem Hunt's just a different animal. Like you said, you could tell he he should have been a pro from the moment he stepped on that foot. Like, there was no one on that field matching his athleticism. He was just a freak of nature. Garrett Wolf, I unfortunately didn't get to watch it. Watch, I just didn't in his time in Northern Illinois. Shout out to Northern Illinois for putting out not only one great running back, but two on this list. I, I'm sure there's more we're forgetting but just off this list, yeah, I, I think they had two solid choices. Like, for me, I don't think there's any complaints from Zach. I think you can make a case for Jarrett Patterson maybe down the line based off his record-breaking season and just six seasons. I mean, people were making a late-season push for him to be the Heisman, and I think that just speaks um, mountains on what he did on the field. He was an incredible athlete. I loved watching him, but – I think we need to give time on Jared Patterson before we make arguments for him. Now moving on to receiver and tight end, we have at receiver Western Michigan's Corey Davis. We all we all know Corey Davis in the NFL. Um, did they did they say Titus Davis is one as well, or or no? Dan, uh, Darius Watts for Marshall, Greg Jennings um, are, were the final two, and then Ball State tight end Darius Hill at tight end. Yeah, the um, I got to be honest here, Sam. You know, the the, the wide receivers they went with. I'm not going to argue with with Corey Davis. I mean, his his production at Western Michigan. I mean, even as a freshman, 67 catches for 941 yards and six touchdowns. I mean, he had you know 12 plus touchdowns in each of his last three years, including 19 touchdowns in 2016. You know, over 5,000 receiving yards, 16 yards per catch. Uh, 52 touchdowns in his career at Western Michigan. I'm not arguing with Corey Davis's inclusion on this list. I I do have to be honest though. Um, even though he has become a little bit of a controversial, more than a little bit, even though he has become a controversial figure over the last couple of years, I, I can't see how they put Darius Watts or Greg Jennings on this list over Antonio Brown and what he did at Central Michigan. Not not taking anything away from Darius Watts or Greg Jennings. But, I mean, you look at Greg Jennings, you know, over the course of four seasons at Western Michigan, he had 238 catches, 3,539 yards, and 39 touchdowns. Over the course of three seasons at West at Central Michigan, excuse me, uh, Antonio Brown had 305 catches for 3,199 yards, and he only had 22 touchdowns, but he had more catches and almost as many yards as Greg Jennings in one last season. I mean, Antonio Brown, the explosive nature of what he was able to do, you throw in what he was able to do in you know, kick returns and punt returns for Central Michigan, where he averaged over 23 yards per return and had a couple of, of uh, return touchdowns as well. I got to have Antonio Brown on this list if I'm, a, if I'm you know, making this list. Darius Watts from Marshall, you look at his stats. I mean, he did have some incredible numbers, 4,000 receiving yards over four years, 47 career touchdowns, 272 
receptions. Obviously, that was a little bit of a different era playing back in the early 2000s. He had Byron Leftwich and Chad Pennington throwing him the ball. So a little bit, you know, of a, of a better quarterback play there, probably. I'm not going to argue with his inclusion on this list. I, If I'm being honest, I don't necessarily remember Darius Watts. He was, I was very young when he was playing in the Mac. But if I, for me, no disrespect to Greg Jennings, but I'm, I'm taking Antonio Brown over Greg Jennings any day. Yeah, I, I see the case there. And, and Greg Jennings, I, I did not get to watch in college. I basically grew up through his NFL career from 06. I'm looking at to kind of two, 2015 inning with the Dolphins. And from watching the NFL, he was a great athlete nonetheless. But I think the thing that stands out in Antonio Brown for me is not only his stat production, like you mentioned, what his been three years, but he strike the similar to Kareem Hunt. He strike the fear in in opponents. He did not only in NFL, clearly college. He he every time he stepped on the floor, like Kareem Hunt, he was the best athlete there, hands down. And there's nothing you could really do to really stop him. I mean, he's he's fast as as heck. His route running is exceptional not only in college. He even he even got any better better playing for the Steelers now playing for the Bucks. It's that short weird stint we won't talk about with the Patriots and Raiders. But <laughs> yeah, reminds you, this dude is just something out of space. Like like the movie that's coming out, he sh- he should be in Space Jam just for what he can do <laughs> on the field. He's amazing to watch. Like I will say, watching Greg Jennings on the Packers was fun to watch him and Brett Favre and then. It would have to be, and then probably the early stages of Aaron Rodgers' career, right? Yeah, yeah. He, I think he had like a year or two with Aaron Rodgers, if I'm not mistaken. Like I, like I'm sure Aaron Rodgers and him connection was great, but watching him with Brett Favre even in that Super Bowl run they had was just amazing. And and for me, I think I think no disrespect to Tyus Davis, R.I.P. I I think that it comes down to. Uh, uh, Antonio Brown in the two on the list. Shout out to Bleacher Report for even having a Marshall person on here and Darius Watts. Yeah, it's it's tough. I I think I keep Greg Jennings just for the simple fact of his statistical standpoint, but at the same time, you can't overlook what Antonio's impact was on the field. He he was just a baller. That's that's all you can say on it. I agree. And and one final thing I had to say on this uh, on the wide receiver position here before we move on, you know, seeing Darius Watts on this list made me go back and look up Randy Moss when he played at Marshall. Now, I know this list is only the last 20 years. Randy Moss played at Marshall in 96 and 97. So I know this list, you know, starts before, you know, after Randy Moss would have graduated. But Randy Moss and his 1997 season in the MAC. 13 games, 96 receptions, 1,820 receiving yards, and 26 touchdowns. That is unbelievable. I got to give him an honorable mention shout out, even though he's not necessarily eligible for this list. I got to say that because those stats are unbelievable. You don't see those stats. You don't see stats like that in college very often. I do have to give a shout out like you to – to a a this may be my ball state bias and and again like I said I don't think I can include him on this list because he's even playing now but the active leader in FBS receptions and and that is Justin Hall like yeah you you can't give enough credit to the legacy I think this is his fifth or sixth season and it speaks to his longevity but also what he's been through on a ball state to, to turn this program around from what it was just a few years ago to now is just phenomenal to see what he did these past two seasons. I've been a a ball state student. I've been phenomenal. So he can't be included on this list because he's still an active player in my mind. And like I said, with Jared Patterson, you need to give time to reflect on this list, but I think he's a a noteworthy player we need to talk about in the future. But moving on to the O-line, we have Corey Lichtenstrager, Lichtenstrager from Bowling Green, Toledo left tackle um, Nick Kazur, Eric Fisher, of course, everybody knows him, Steve Shulio, and Brandon Brooks, uh, Miami and Marshall, respectively. Yeah, I, I Sam, I, I can't say I have too many disagreements on this list. I, I will be honest. I, you know, 
a lot of these guys, you think you, when you start talking about offensive linemen, I'm not going to remember all of these guys, especially the guys that played, you know, you got Corey Lifton senior that played from 2004 to 2007. The one name that I found curious was that was not included here was another central Michigan guy in, in Joe Staley. This is a guy that was a first round draft pick in the NFL in the 2007 draft started out his career at central Michigan as a tight end. And, and actually as a freshman tight end at central Michigan actually caught 11 passes for 130 yards and a touchdown and then moved to tackle after that and, and was a, uh, a two-time all-MAC honor, uh, honoree at tackle. And then, again, a first-round draft pick has had a, a nice uh, long career in the NFL. So I was, I was very surprised to, to not see his name on this list uh, for the offensive lineman, though. Other than that, though, I, I, I can't say I have any you know, huge disagreements here. Yeah, first, I guess I love the, the love for the offensive linemen. I think it shows to show you how many good offensive linemen the MAC has produced over the year. Eric Fisher, Brandon Brooks, we all know him. Like you said, Joe Staley. It's a tough list. And I think when you're talking about O-line, it's tough to gauge who to put because besides sacks allowed and maybe pancakes, there's not a whole lot of indicators besides – what the offense put out there, and it's tough to gauge. Do you do you give a Buffalo player who let just Jarrett Patterson run crazy in six games more importance over a, a guy like Brandon Brooks, who was a staple on that Miami-Ohio line for three years? It's tough. It really is to judge these guys one over another, and I think you can definitely make a case for Joe Staley, who, like you said, was a first-round draft pick. Um, I, I don't think he's in the Hall of Fame yet, but probably will be come probably three to four more years when his eligibility comes around. And I, I think that's something to be said. But Brandon Brooks is a solid yet. Eric Fisher, I mean, all, how many MAC players are All-Americans? Yeah, really? not many. Not many. I agree. Yeah, so there's no dispute. Number one draft pick in the NFL. You can't do that. Maybe there's a case, like you said, to replace um, a Nick Kazur with Toledo, but at the same time, I think this will, this this list is pretty solid because it's so hard to, to judge one offensive lineman over another because all these guys have it, had impressive season. They don't nearly, they don't really get the statistical love that they maybe should. Yeah, I agree with you. Like you said, it's 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 more tough to to gauge in terms of uh, you know statistics and, and and measurables for offensive linemen. But, you know, like I said, other than Joe Staley, I can't say I have any huge disagreements here. And moving on to the defense linemen, this is different than the linebackers. I think this is mostly inside players, mostly D tackles. Um, the linebackers are more your edge rushers with Khalil Mack. I, when I first looked at this list, I was like, why is Khalil Mack not on the, the defensive line? But it makes sense when they put him in the linebackers. I'll roughly go through it. Jason Babin. Um, Sutton Smith, Roosevelt Nix, and Chris Jones. I'll let you take it away for a sec. Yeah, I, I got to say, first off, I mean, Jason Babin, I think, is, is a shoe in here. I mean, this is a guy who played, uh, what, 11 years, 12 years in the NFL, two-time Pro Bowl selection, second team All-Pro. And then you look at Sutton Smith. Sutton Smith is kind of the flip side of that, a guy who never really made it in the NFL. He was actually drafted by the Steelers a couple of years ago, but never made the roster, but was incredibly productive in college. You know, 58 tackles for loss and seven forced fumbles in 2017 and 2018. And then you got Kent State tackle Roosevelt Nix, another uh, former Steeler. He actually, when he went into the NFL, he, tra he transitioned over to fullback and played fullback. Actually made the Pro Bowl as a fullback back in 2018. But this is a guy, Roosevelt Nix, won the MAC Defensive Player of the Year in 2010 as a true freshman. He was the first freshman to ever do that. So I think that there really speaks volumes for him. And then uh, Chris Jones at Bowling Green, that's a guy who was a standout. I remember watching him play back in the early, you know, 2010s, so, you know, 2011, 2012. You know, Bowling Green, mostly known for offense here over the last couple of decades, but he was truly a standout player for Bowling Green there. So I can't say I have too many um, – too many, yeah, I have no disagreements here. I think these are all guys that were very deserving. I also, like you, similar to you, Sam, I initially did a little bit of a double take when I didn't see um, Khalil Mack on this list. And then I scrolled down to the linebackers and I saw him there. So then it made more sense. But as far as these four guys that they selected here, I think they were all very worthy. Yeah, I, I think this list is 
it, I think this team is important because I think it establishes this is more college production than NFL production wise. Cause there's no disrespect here to Roosevelt Nick, who's right. He's a fullback on the Steelers, right? Correct. Yes. Like he hasn't had the most uh, pro pro production, but when you look at his college stats, you can't deny his production to Kansas State. Similar to Chris Jones, similar to Jason Babin, who's a, been a beast in the NFL for for who knows how many years. You said eleven. Like mm-hmm. Sutton Smith was a beast on the the the, the front four. Northern Illinois. I wish I would have spent more time watching kind of his dominance during his uh, his time in Northern Illinois back in 2017 and 2018. I wish I would have been around to see the Jason Babin years for Western Michigan. It probably would have been electric. I mean, Roosevelt Knicks, I mean, for for what we've seen Kent State's defense to be, for Kent State to have a, a defensive player like Roosevelt Nick to win Mac Defensive Player of the Year, not only to do that but as a freshman, I think is just a testament to him. I, I think this list is solid. And again, before we move on, let us know who you would have had on each each position. There's a lot of debate, quarterback, running back, receiver. And again, you don't have to agree with us. You can agree, disagree with all this list. Let, let us know who you would have had in each spot on Twitter, at Mac underscore bandwagon. But moving on to the linebackers, of course, Khalil Mack, we mentioned it. Jatavius Brown from Akron. Western Michigan gets Amir Ismail. And then Central Michigan, Malik found four-year starter, got the, the linebacker spots. I'll be honest with you, Sam. When it comes to linebackers here from the MAC in the last 20 years, there's there's Khalil Mack and then there's everyone else. You know what I mean? Like these other guys on this list, very deserving, have had very, you know, all had very good careers and their production justifies them being on this list. But after Khalil Mack, for me, you know, he was he was head and shoulders above everyone else. So I, I can't say beyond him here. I think as long as he was included in the group of linebackers that they, they put here, I'm not going to have any huge issues. I think he's head and shoulders the, the best. These other guys here, Jatavis Brown, I mean, he was on some good Akron teams back in 2013. In uh, that, that 2015 team when he was the MAC Defensive Player of the Year, uh, that was the year they uh, that team went to the Idaho Potato Bowl and got their first bowl victory in school history over Utah State back when Terry Bowden was still their coach. Um, Amir Ismail, Defensive Player of the Year back in 06, and then uh, Malik Fountain, Central Michigan and MAC fans in general, you know, they, they remember him. He seemingly was everywhere for the Central Michigan defense there for four years uh, from uh, from 2015 to 2018. And as you mentioned, Sam, two first-team uh, All-Mac selections. So these are all guys that were incredibly productive over the course of, of a career, not just having one good year, two good years. I mean, these are guys that had four really good seasons. And then Khalil Mack, you know, just on another level, 74.5 tackles for loss and 28.5 sacks from 2010 to 2013. I remember watching him uh, kind of his coming out party back in the 2013 season, whenever Buffalo played at Ohio state in week one. And he uh, had a, had a strip sack and a, and a, a scoop and score uh, touchdown, if I recall correctly in that game. And that was kind of the, kind of the game that announced him uh, to, to the rest of the nation, what Mac fans already knew how good he was going to be. So I think Khalil Mack is head and shoulders above everyone else here. These other guys though, really, really good productive starters over, over a long period of time. Yeah. I, I, I think I agree with you. I think head and shoulders it's Khalil Mack and everybody else. I, I do think an interesting name, if he would have finished his career at Western Michigan, Trayshawn Howard, I, I can't mm. enough. The short time I spent watching him, it was incredible. I mean, I, I think he was also a, a All-American linebacker. He was definitely first-team All-Mac for a couple seasons. I, I I was just doing the research, kind of looking in recent articles, and apparently he's, uh, Arizona kind of let him go from the program. They didn't really say the reason, but his short impact for Western Michigan, I think if he would have finished his career out, and like I said with the other um, present-day players, you need to give them time and reflect on their kind of significance to the program. I think he would have been on this list as well. He was a beast on the field in his short time at Western Michigan. He definitely put in the work. I think he could have made a case for himself here, but I think considering that he left and and um, and he he transferred out, it's going to be tough for him to make a name on this list. 
That's a good point, Sam. I mean, you look at Treshawn Howard's 2019 season, 142 tackles, 11 tackles for loss, 4.5 sacks. That's a heck of a season. Yeah, and I think if you would have continued on that trajectory, then I, I certainly agree with you. He could have been on this list, and I, I good call on that one. I, I didn't think about him. His name didn't cross my mind here, but I agree with you. I think that's a guy, if he would have stayed at Western Michigan and would have continued on that trajectory, he could definitely end up in this conversation. And then moving on to, we got two more left. We got the secondary and special teams. We'll go, we'll start with the secondary. We got Sean Lurie from Northern Illinois, Darius Phillips from Western Michigan, and then two safeties, Buffalo, Devontae Shannon, uh, Buffalo and Toledo's Barry Church at, um, from Toledo. I'll let you go first, Zach. Yeah, man, I, I think these are these are great picks here. Um, shout out to Devontae Shannon from uh, from Jeanette High School here in the suburbs of Pittsburgh. Uh, had a, he was on that 2018 that upset Nate Davis and Ball State in the MAC championship game that year. Uh, that was a great defense that they had, and a great team that they had. Barry Church, obviously from Toledo. That's a guy I know. A friend of the program, Rocket Ryan. I mentioned him uh, quite a bit when we talked to him, uh, you know, on a couple way back in the early episodes back a year ago. This is a guy that uh, was uh, in the NFL for eight years, played for the Cowboys for six seasons, for the Jaguars for a few years, four time all Mac for Jerry, uh, for uh, for Barry Church, excuse me, uh, 2006 to 2009. That, so that includes obviously his his freshman season. Uh, Sean Lurie, that's a guy that's a name I got to be honest, I hadn't heard in a while but had nine interceptions in 2015, led all of Division I, All-Mac honors three times. And then uh, Darius Phillips from Western Michigan is another guy, uh, two first-team, two all-second-team Mac honors at cornerback. Um, I think there are some, some guys currently playing here uh, in the Mac right now that could probably, in, in the future, might be included on this list. Bryce Cosby from, uh, from, from Ball State and some other guys as well that, that are very, very good there on the back end. But as you mentioned earlier, Sam, with kind of the, the recency bias and given that five-year window to reflect on what they're able to do, I think this list here, I think these guys that were included are, are, are pretty strong selections. I do think it's weird how they have, I, I generally, when people say FBS, they don't spell it out, football, bowl, subdivision. It was yeah, like a little, yeah. A little quirk. I saw that they had, um, well, I mean, he did lead the FBS with nine interceptions. I just thought it was weird phrasing. But, the one thing I have a problem with on this list is the wording that they had. All states, Justin Burial deserves a mention, but missed the cuts because he played linebacker for two years. I think mm. that's complete nonsense. If you're going to compare safeties, that that's one thing. But in this day and age, safeties are, are hybrid linebackers. Like they are. You see it all the time in this. We, we just talked about the last episode or the episode before that safeties are linebackers and yes it it does it does make sense to not include them because this is this is a secondary list but at the same time with the way the game's going you can't really justify that because also safeties are sometimes corners are you gonna disregard a safety because he played slot corner some of the time maybe Mm. sure maybe if he spent all his time at linebacker which i'm sure he did but at the same time I, I don't think he deserves to be disregarded because he played linebacker when safeties can be linebackers now in today's era. Yeah, that's a great point, Sam. With you know p- positional flexibility and versatility nowadays, you see a lot of switching back and forth between those positions and guys that have to do both things. You also, you know, I mean, you look at Justin Barrio, uh, freshman All-American in 2001, first-team freshman All-American. Not very often do you see that. From a guy coming from the Mac, getting a freshman All-American honors. And then, like you said, you know, two-time All-Mac in 03 and 04. So I hear what you're saying about the fact that he played two years at linebacker. I don't see why that should matter on this list. Now, the second question becomes, would you put him on top of on this list over any of the guys we mentioned? I mean, none of these guys we mentioned were freshman All-Americans, so maybe you would. I think we're kind of nitpicking at that point, but I hear what you're saying, Sam. That's a, that's a very good point. I mean, freshman All-American is nothing to sneeze at. This is a guy that uh, was was really, really productive for Ball State for four straight years, doing it at multiple positions, had 121 tackles as a sophomore, 145 tackles as a junior, uh, you know, 100, 130 as a senior. So, that's I mean, that's three straight really strong years, four straight years, uh, including that freshman season. So I hear what you're saying there. I, I definitely think he could have been or should have been included on this list. 
Yeah, and I, I'm not saying um, that he maybe should have been put up um, above Barry Church or Devontae Shane. I'm just simply saying that if you're going to compare these two, compare them based on on their kind of deserved um, – I, I don't even know. Things that you can rightfully compare them on, statisticals, award. But to say you played linebacker for two years – I, I disagree that that's the reason he missed the cut. I think it's based on production accolades. That That's just my thinking. But moving on to specialists, you have Toledo kicker Jeremiah Detmer, which I, I'm sure uh, rings the bell, is a familiar name for a lot of NFL um, people. And then Bowling Green's Joseph Davidson for him. Bowling Green. Yeah, I think uh, Jeremiah Detmer, I mean, that's you look at 85% of his field goals over four years. That's something that's really, really, um, that's hard to do, right? That's, I mean, that's, I think that's kind of a common theme we're coming across on this list here, Sam, is this is guys, these aren't guys that had one good season or were just kind of like a flash in the pan. These are guys that did it consistently over a career. And then he also, you know, special teams player of the year in the conference back in 2013. Joseph Davidson at Bowling Green uh, led the MAC in yards per punt each season from 25 to 20, 2015 to 2017. Excuse me, uh, that 2015 season he didn't have to do much. They had such a good offense with Matt Johnson and at quarterback and Dino Babers as uh, their head coach. There he didn't have to do much that year. 2016, 2017 got a little bit more action as Bowling Green kind of fell off a cliff there over the last those two seasons. But his uh, career average, 45.2 yards per punt, 17th in college football since 2000. And then when it comes to a kick returner, punt returner, uh, Ryan Robinson, yeah, that's going back a while. This is a guy that played for Miami from 2003 to 2006. Uh, he has seven punt return touchdowns, which is tied for the third most all-time in Division A or the FBS. And then uh, Western Michigan kick returner Darius Phillips. A lot of more recent Mac fans will remember him. Uh, Mac special teams player of the year in 2016 and 2017. Uh, five touchdowns in a 3,193 career return yards. And the, the thing here that's tough for me, Sam, is these return specialists. A lot of times, you know, I am more inclined to look at guys who like play receiver and also return kicks or, you know, running back and also return punts. Or they, these are guys that play another position and just do this uh, as, as, you know, kind of a, a side duty. But these guys, Darius Phillips and Ryan Robinson, I mean, they were known for punt returning and kick returning. I think that's kind of what sets them apart. Even though they had other roles on their teams, their primary contribution was on special teams. I agree, and the, the, the only thing I would say to put up somebody against this list is Brett Kern. I, I think mm. he possibly could have gone on this list, but I think, like you said, it, it stands out when somebody's known for just returning. A lot, of, a lot of high school athletes are branded as athletes, and you don't really get a position, and I think that kind of applies to these guys. They're, they're not necessarily just receivers or just just running backs, but they're actually known for being a returner. And I would say returners, because they're more of the athlete tag than anybody because they play multi, most of the time besides Devin Hester, who 99% of the time was a kick returner, was a, was a different position. And I think that just speaks volume to what he did third most ever in FBS. That's putting your name in the record books. Darius Phillips, a dynamic athlete, two-time special teams player of the year. I think, like you said, the MAC puts out a lot of good um, special teams. I mean, we just, we talked about Eastern Michigan, I think, just this past episode or a few episodes before in the special teams that work they did. I mean, it's hard to disagree with Jeremiah Detmer or Joseph Davidson. I think the one person I put up against that list is Brett Kern, but – it, this is a hard to go against um, list. Brett Kern's a great, um, a great suggestion. There. That's a name that I haven't heard in a really long time. And you talk about a guy that had a, a really has had a really long, really productive career in the NFL after a really strong season or a really strong career at uh, at college at, at Toledo. Um, you know, Max Special Teams Player of the Year in 2007. Really good, good, good shout out there, Sam. I haven't heard his name in a long time. That never would have crossed my mind, but I could definitely see him being on this list here over uh, Joe Davidson from Bowling Green. 
And now we'll wrap it up for episode 53 of the Mid-American Bandwagon podcast. We went through a lot. We went through the Ball State news. We went through the uh, Jason Preston, Demontre Total news. We briefly went down each position on the um, Bleacher Reports Mid-American All-Conference team. Again, this, this list isn't perfect by any means. I'm sure we're forgetting a lot of names that are rightfully deserved. I mean, there's a lot of um, names to go. One name that just come, came to my mind was Willie Sneed off the top of my head. Forgot, oh, forgot yeah, good call. that name. I hadn't heard that name in a minute. But, yeah, so let us know who you think on each position. Again, we're no expert. We're no all-conference team expert by any means. I'm sure you guys disagree with us here. Um, yeah, just let us know at Mac underscore bandwagon uh, what you think. And, Zach, is there any final things before we wrap up this episode no i think i'm good man we are um just about eight weeks away almost exactly eight weeks away from college football um i'm excited it's that time of year where i'm ready for football to happen i know we have the olympics coming up but you know that's all well and good but nothing compares to college football saturday so i'm, I'm ready for it i'm excited for it and uh, I'm, I'm ready for it to get here man i'm excited to be back in schumann stadium once again only got to go through three games last year hoping to go to six this year fingers crossed that everything goes smoothly there but yeah that'll wrap it up for this episode of minute american bandwagon podcast we hope you guys had a wonderful fourth of july weekend hopefully you all spend time with your family eat some good food and all that good stuff but yeah we will talk to you guys next Friday.